Today is April 12th, 2020. Welcome to the Generic Board Game Podcast, all the board gaming content you could possibly want at a fraction of the price. I'm your American host, Philip Millman. And I'm your European host, Vic from NaveCon. Um, I'm very excited about today's episode. Why are you excited, Vic? This is so unusual for you. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's very simple. We have a really, really, um, not that our previous guests haven't been impressive, but this is a super impressive guest. Uh, we have the guy with the longest board game name. We have Glenn Dover in our studio this evening. I, you know, I'm excited too, although I do have real questions about Glenn's tastes in pizza. So we're, we're just going to have to table that for that now. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm a huge New York pizza fan. I grew up in New York. Um, and while I like Chicago deep dish, I don't consider it pizza. I consider it a bread casserole. But we'll leave that for a later date. And I'm sure uh, Glenn and my good friend Simon will have a word or two to say about that. <laughs> So, uh, Glenn, welcome very much. It's it's great to see you virtually, although I have met you face to face several times at various conventions, and so it's always a pleasure. Good to see you. Uh, it's good to be seen. Uh, honestly, it's it's good to be seen uh, as an extrovert. This is this self isolation thing is just killing me, uh, and and my my poor wife who has to deal with me. So. I, before we start, um, you know, Glenn, you've been in the business and you've been around for a very long time. Why don't, why don't you uh, just give us a quick background and how you got into board gaming? Um, sure. Actually, my original um, uh, gaming uh, experience was in the video game side. Oh. Um, so I joined the video game industry in 1989 with a company called Microprose. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I know them. I'm yeah. old enough to remember them. <laughs> yeah, so um, Sid Meier, um, Bruce Shelley, those guys, Civilization, uh, Railroad Tycoon, um, those kind of games. And um, joined them in 1989. Uh, I wanted to be a game designer, so I thought I would go out there. I was still living here in Chicago, but flew out to Maryland and just, you know, uh, did a, a quick interview trying to convince them to hire me, uh, though I had no published games. And what they told me was that they usually hired people from Avalon Hill um, for their game designers because they wanted people that had published game design, had ex actual experience um, designing and publishing games. So the, this was the very early days of PC gaming. And uh, that was their kind of talent pool that they drew from. And uh, so after convincing them for a couple of hours, they actually offered me a job in quality assurance um, to be kind of a, you know, an entry level game designer um, who could help them. Uh, so I got on the airplane and flew home with this job offer. I was thrilled. Um, and I talked to my new wife at the time and I told her that I would be moving our family to uh, Hunt Valley, Maryland. Um, and I would be playing games for a living for the kingly sum of $13,000 a year. And, uh, she promptly told me that that wasn't going to work for her and that <laughs> if I wanted to pursue that, I could do that on my own, but she wasn't coming. It was kind of my dream job, actually. So I, I was you know, heartbroken and had to contact them and tell them that I couldn't accept the position. So a few months later, luckily, they called me back and said, hey, we really enjoyed meeting you and we see that you had sales experience. We're expanding our sales team. And would you consider taking a job in Chicago? Uh, not on the game development front, but on the business side. And I jumped at it and um, worked for them for about three years, 
met, you know, would go out to Hunt Valley for meetings and instantly, as soon as I got in the office, I'd find my way to Sid Meier's office and Bruce Shelley's office and, you know, kind of uh, bend their ear and ask them what they were working on. And I remember one day they told me they were working on a game that they were calling Civilization. And uh, I, you know, instantly knew that if Sid Meier was working on a game that had that kind of a subject matter, that it was just, it was going to be a classic. And I hadn't seen the design, I hadn't played it, and um, instantly knew that it was going to be a classic because he was just that good. He was just that talented a designer. I, I don't think, I, I really don't think Victor or I are even worthy enough to be in the same Zoom room as you. I'm, I'm just saying that this is amazing. Thinking the very same thing. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you a quick aside to this. When I was um, a student, second time around, I remember sitting down with the original Civilization and uh, playing it solid for two days, and I do mean two solid days, and coming to my front door when the uh, doorbell rang, and a friend of mine um, looked at me and went, you've got to stop playing, and he made me soup and put me to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I got up, I was mumbling about the Mongols attacking, I waited till he left, then got up and played another 12 hours, and then <laughs> collapsed. <laughs> wow. Um... Uh, that that's impressive. That's impressive. So you start on the video games and then eventually migrated over to the uh, uh, to the to the tabletop. I did. I mean, I, I'd always been a board gamer from my earliest days back in the '70s. I played Avalon Hill games and SPI games, and I did role playing and all, all that standard stuff that you expect, you know, old gamers like me to have done. Tabletop war gaming. Um, we're we're know, not that um, we're, we're not that much different in age, Glenn. We're really no, not. We're not far behind. <laughs> but, so so, but the video game industry really excited me because it was something that you were able to do um, without having to collect a bunch of people to play a game that might take ten hours, twenty hours, thirty hours to play. I love those longer games, and so I really was interested in having uh, an AI opponent, having those amazing graphics, having a system that could help very complex simulations be played very easily. So very, you know, I was very excited about bringing board gaming to PCs. And then when I started Eagle uh, in 2000, Eagle Games, one of the things that struck me was, well, we've now been doing PC gaming for, you know, 15, 20 years. What if we brought the best PC games back to board gaming? Oh, that's, a, why, that's smart. Yeah, so I licensed uh, Railroad Tycoon, and I licensed Civilization, and I licensed Age of Empires III and Age of Mythology, and I took a whack at designing board game versions of those, and with mixed su success, to be honest. I mean, my version of Civilization was terrible, um, way too long, way too fiddly. Um, I was still learning how to design a game at that point, so... Uh, but by the time I got to Age of Empires three, I, I I think I did that one pretty acceptably, and it was a good board game version of that experience. Um, and Railroad Tycoon, which is now Railways of the World, uh, did that with Martin Wallace, and we we did a good job, I think, on that design. I um I, I believe I had them all at one stage, and uh, I remember Civilization and playing it a few times. But the one that really kind of took off for me was Age of Mythology, and then. Um, I still have it upstairs, is um, the longest board game name, Glenn Dover's Age of uh, Discovery. Uh, what was this? Uh, Age of Empires 3, Age of Discoveries. And it's still a fantastic game. It's really kind of held up. Um, 
question for you is what did you learn really from i mean it's not an easy thing to get into i imagine and it's certainly not an easy thing to make a living from how did you make a living with this or how did you you, you know get into a board game that you decided okay this is what i'm going to do and this is where i'm going to make my money yeah it's, it's a good question uh the answer is is how i got into it was i just decided one day i wanted to do it um i was frustrated that i was on the business side of, of the video game industry and couldn't do any game designing because uh, I'd always been kind of a, you know, a closet game designer. And since I was a kid, and I think we all are, right? A lot of sure. people who enjoy gaming, we all want to fiddle and design our own things and see, and see them come to fruition. Um, so one, I remembered pretty clearly one morning I was up early, it was still dark and I was in the shower and it was at this point I was working for Activision in the late nineties. And um, I just had about enough of just selling somebody else's games and came into the bedroom as I was drying off and told my wife that, hey, I think I'm gonna quit my job and start a board game company. And she wasn't sure if she should laugh or cry because <laughs> she knew I was fairly serious. And um, so I left the company a, you know, a few months later and uh, started Eagle Games. And uh, yeah, the rest as they say is history. I'm not sure if it's, it's a great living um, this industry is very difficult to, sure. to make a good living at. I was making much more money uh, being a sales director in, in the PC game industry than I ever had um, selling games, selling board games. The, the funny thing is, I bet you, though, every cent you got from board games was much more satisfying than, you know, from a wage, from being a wage slave and getting, you know, getting it from someone else. The, no question. Yeah. Like, was there anything in your background that helped you with um with this as in you you'd come from kind of the the board game side or not the board game side of it but the the video game and how did that translate over to board games yeah the the biggest help i think was actually well number one working with geniuses like will wright i, I worked at maxis for a year when he was doing SimCity 2000 uh worked with sid meyer with bruce shelley um you know you work with these extremely talented uh, game designers and people who can imagine whole systems and whole universes and really mechanics before even Euro mechanics and the board game world were a thing. Uh, these guys were designing mechanics and systems in, in, a, in, in the PC world. Um, so that was a great influence. Uh, there were two things that Sid Meier said that still stick with me to this day, that you have to let the player uh, be the one that's making the decisions and driving the action of the game. You don't want the system to be having all the fun, right? So it's, some people design simulations and they're meant to be hyper accurate and the player's just kind of following along the narrative. They're not having much impact. That you want to let the player be the hero of the story. And you want to let the player make the interesting decisions. And those interesting decisions should drive the outcome of the game. And If anybody saw this on video, you have two guys that are just nodding sagely looking at you going wow yeah yeah you're 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 bang on well yeah. it's it's the same thing with role-playing games right if you're the dungeon master playing DD, it's not for you to try to shoehorn what your 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 players are doing let the adventure go on um and you adjust to the players because it'll be much more challenging for you and actually much more interesting for them yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, you don't try to take over and be the star, right? You, you, you try to facilitate 
the enjoyment of the players. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just those lessons, those early lessons. I was still in my twenties when uh, I worked at Microprose. What was the second, th what was the second thing he said? The first one was let the, let the system, let the player be the hero. What was the second thing? Well, um, I kind of jammed them together. The oh, second okay. thing was <laughs> you, you want the player to always have the option of, of making interesting decisions, right? You don't want the decisions that they're making or the input that they're having to be meaningless. You want them to be world shaking, world changing, game changing decisions. And I, you know, cause you'll play some games and you'll do a lot of things. You'll be very active doing things in a game but you're not necessarily you only get to a point where you're having critical um you know decisions once or twice that Got affect it. the outcome critically and i think for me as a game designer i i always harken back to that and i want fewer more important decisions in my games i want the players to be able to instead of doing lots of fiddly bits and things that don't have major, you know, impact. I would rather have them do six or eight or ten decisions that are very, very important and that definitely will affect the outcome. I guess that's kind of how I see forbidden games because the games are, are much simpler than, say, some of the normal or the other games that I play. Like I, I was just thinking, yeah, Vital Lacerda would probably not agree with that assessment because <laughs> his games can be fiddly and they have a lot of interesting decisions that you have to chain. Um, but I, I like that. It's let's have six or so interesting decisions, but they're they're really meaningful decisions. I mean, that, that's that's a, a good philosophy. Going from the video uh, industry where you were making Boku bucks into the hard scrabble world. Hey, look, that was a pun. Hard scrabble, <laughs> uh, hard scrabble world into board gaming. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges of of setting up your own game, your own board game company? I mean, it's got to be difficult just from a lot of different perspectives? It's easier today uh, mm -hmm. in the sense that Kickstarter gives you some funding that you didn't have back in 2000 when I started Eagle. We had to add, had actually fund, find a figure out a way to fund the company, fund mm -hmm. the manufacturing, the development of the products and understand the business side in a way that, you know, retail and distribution and marketing in a way that's still important, but you know, it was, it was a bigger challenge. It was a bigger hill to climb back then. And I was leveraging my business experience from the video game side. Mm -hmm. It wasn't directly applicable, but it was, there was, I had enough grounding in dealing with retailers, dealing with distributors, dealing with marketing um, and operations that I, I understood what I was doing when I started a business. And that isn't always the case with a lot of game designers that now become their own publishers. Uh, they don't necessarily understand every aspect of of business. You know, they, they know this or that, and they know how other people are doing things, but they don't always they don't always have a, a world of experience coming in. Yeah, that's something that we've uh, come to appreciate. Now, uh, you know, I don't know if you know my background particularly. I'm I'm a University of Chicago economist by training. Oh, and nice. Then I, and then I was uh, in capital markets for a lot of years um, before going over onto the dark side, working for the federal government, but the, uh, which I've been, I just celebrated my 15th anniversary working there uh, from my home office. But the, um, but I, I, I do agree. I, I do see a lot of, uh, and even, even companies that have been around for a while make some really interesting 
rookie business mistakes. Uh, for instance, and this is just something that hit a couple of days ago, Simon is having, oh, wait, an accounting issue. Mm. Uh, and it's the type of accounting issue that can actually close a company. So uh, it, it's it's just, it's very, very interesting to see that. And, and I agree with you. I think there's, there could be a lot more done to have more business uh, acumen or acumen brought into the board gaming world. Let's let's change the pace a little bit and and not be so gloomy gusses here. Uh, what are your top three non-forbidden games games? So you can't talk about the stuff of your current company. Yeah, I'm, these days I'm really, I'm a heavy gamer and a strategy gamer. So awesome. yes, I, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I need to get off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I really lately um, I've been enjoying terraforming Mars. I, mm -hmm. I enjoy that game quite a bit because it's a really, uh, I think the theme is outstanding and the mechanics are, are clean and, and understandable, but it's just a great engine builder. Yes. Right? You get a lot of satisfaction out of building up your production and your game plan for how you're going to win the game. And it, to our conversation a minute ago, it's, it's the, the sense that you're making a bunch of decisions on which things you're going to focus on and then you're watching it come to fruition. You're being rewarded for making good choices. Sure. And, and I really enjoy that about the game. It's not, it's not overly complex. You can teach it and learn it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of deep, you know, devil in the details kind of things, but it's, it's very approachable for a heavier strategy game. Okay. Number two, uh, been a fan of Lahav for quite a while. Um, buddy of mine in Seattle got me onto it back when I was at uh, PopCap in between Eagle Games and uh, oh. Forbidden. I was at PopCap. I was their North American sales director when we launched Plants vs. Zombies. And um, I still and, play that. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's just a great game. So much fun. And um, But I was in Seattle a lot and I, I, I got in with a, a really good group, a good board gaming group in Seattle. There's a a great community of, of board gaming and RPG gaming in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I used to take the ferry over to, to Bainbridge Island uh, on Saturdays and we would game out there. Um, so he got me hooked on Lahav. I really enjoy, again, it's an engine builder. It's got great economics. Um, it's, it's just a very clever uh, game. And, and it actually, in fact, informed my early designs for Raccoon Tycoon, uh -huh. uh, which is a much more streamlined economic game. Yes. But I really, I liked in Lahab how they utilized the little boxes or circles where the, um, the, the commodities were. And so you kind of accumulated goods that you could then acquire. And you had to make, you know, kind of the decision, what was your optimal acquisition for that turn and what should you do? Um, so any, it had an influence, and uh, so that would be, I guess, number two. Well, number three. Um, Say diplomacy. Say diplomacy. Yeah. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Uh, I, to be honest, I gave up diplomacy twenty years ago just because it's it's a game that is is so nasty that it's it just by intention, <laughs> by design, it's meant to break friendships. Um, yeah. Had a guy rage quit the game on us in back in college, and <laughs> left literally with tears streaming down his face. <laughs> and I'll play it, but it's it's just such a mean game that uh, it's I, I I don't want to anymore. No, not if you play with me. I mean, you you can trust me. Uh, I got your back. <laughs> yeah. 
And the reason that Vic and I are still friends is because a we live across the pond from each other, and secondly, we've never played diplomacy together. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. so, so getting so at, now that we've had that little diversion, what's number three? Um, yeah, good question. Board game wise, um, played a lot of games lately. We have a Thursday night gaming group, and we try a lot of new games. Um, haven't been blown away by anything in a while. Um, I like, oh, I, I really like um, a, a game, and if, let me see if I can think of the name of it. We, we played it six or eight times. It's a, a game about the early auto industry in Germany, and it's called... Kraftwagen? Um, Kraftwagen. I do really like Kraftwagen. enjoy Kraftwagen. Uh, Kraftwagen. It's very clever. Again, very well-integrated mechanics. Uh, the theme is also just really well you know, integrated into the gameplay. Um, and it's, it, it, it's always tight and, and, and fiercely competitive. You always want to do, there's, there's several things going on at once and you always want to be doing more than you can. So it's got that, that really great sense of delicious frustration. Um, and it's got a nice, you know, um, what's the mechanic with the, with the circle, um, or oh, round, uh, around yeah, yeah. It's got a it's got a clever rondel system tell me um forbidden games it's a great name it reminds me of forbidden planet where did you come up with the name um came up with it we were actually just workshopping 30 40 names we just kept iterating new names and it was kind of the one that was you know wink wink nod nod you know mm -hmm. it's 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 not i mean we're creating uh, essentially gateway games and almost family level games. So to call something forbidden just is, it's just got a little bit of irony and, and humor to it. It's so, uh, cause the games are supposed to be anything but forbidden. They're supposed to be easy access, wide appeal, uh, games. So we just thought that was funny. Your target audience is, uh, really just bringing these kind of really interesting concepts of board gaming just but at sort of a more of an introductory level, sort of like, you know, with Raccoon Tycoon, it's the auction mechanic, right? Uh, with Railroad Rivals, it's kind of the route building-ish. almost drafting. And drafting, right, absolutely drafting. Sort of 18XX, uh, super duper light. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have you ever played 18XX or was that, a, was that at all part of how you thought about it or was it from Railroads of the, wor of, of the World? Um, it was actually from Railways of the World, but I did, oh, really? I have played, played 1830, but only digitally. Back when I was at Microprose, they did a PC version of 1830, which is really weird. And it was, it was the best AI I've ever played in any game ever in my life. Wow. It was brutally vicious and would eviscerate you. And you would only, I only won the game maybe one out of five times. Wow. So you'd play a hundred times, maybe you'd win a handful. And it was, the AI was so good at that game. Wow. That was back in maybe 1994. Wow, that's, that's yeah. amazing. It was very uh, impressive. So just to give the audience a sense of what a, a fully functioning board game you know, uh, company is, how many full and part-time employees do you have at Forbidden Games? Um, I am the only full-time employee. We have four contract employees that don't work full-time, but work part-time. Um, we have our operations director. We have our marketing and social media director. Uh, we have our graphic designer, mm -hmm. and we have a part-time bookkeeper. 
and wow. none of them are full-time employees. I'm the only one that actually draws a paycheck and pays payroll taxes. Um, mm -hmm. These other guys are basically getting paid a certain amount every month or they're getting uh, paid for whatever work they do. Yeah, I, I have to talk to you about your, your social media manager. His, you know, first of all, that, <laughs> for everybody who doesn't know, he's a good friend of mine. His name is Simon. He's uh, a good guy. Uh, he works very, very hard, and but we like to make fun of each other. So uh, we're not going to ask you any balance sheet questions. Um, it's not that type of show, and we're not auditing you. But roughly about how many games did you sell in 2019? Um, somewhere in like the 40,000 range. Fantastic. So a fair number. Yeah, we, 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 we did get into Barnes & Noble with Raccoon Tycoon. That, that's huge. It, it did well, uh, as I knew it would. I, 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 you know, the, our whole kind of thrust of the company is to end up at broad uh, chain retail. So we start with Kickstarter, then we go to the Hobby Channel, and ultimately our goal is to be in Barnes & Noble, go to the game store, Calendar Club, um, Books a Million, Target, all those stores. So we're kind of on our pathway on that destination, you know, toward that destination. Um, and Raccoon did so well, in fact, that it outsold 80% of their other SKUs. Wow. And uh, the buyer basically is now telling, you know, we'll get the final uh, selections for this holiday, but I think she's going to be taking four uh, SKUs for this year. And, and, and a SKU is how big for those that don't know what it is? I'm sorry, a SKU is just one title. Oh, I see. So they're going to carry four of our titles and we only ha will have five. So there's only Railroad Rivals is the only one they won't have. Wow, that, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's a kind of uh, vague question, but one of the best things right now about the board gaming industry, uh, I know, and this is going to kind of lead into my next question about the pandemic and so on, but uh, if we go a little bit before that, what has been the best things um, right now in gaming for you, 2020, 2019? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm back to digital gaming, uh, right? Okay. We're all stuck at home. And sure. uh, we have played Terraforming Mars um, on, uh, you know, their online service. So we'll get together and play that game, and that's enjoyable. We just finished um, Raccoon Tycoon version for Tabletopia. Wow. Um, so that's just going to become available this week. Uh, mm -hmm. for players to play that game online. Um, but mostly I'm back to, you know, playing old PC strategy games. And, you know, um, I like historical war games. Um, and I actually just published a uh, an American Civil War PC game that came out a week and a half ago um, called Victory and Glory, the American Civil War. And it's got a real board game flavor to it. It's got card play and you're moving your units around on a simplified regional map. And then there are tactical battles that are, you know, very abstracted with a left, right, and a center. Um, but it's 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 kind of a, a a hybrid of a board game and a PC strategy game. Mm. It, you can't see the video, but that's just me moving and buying your game on Steam <laughs> you know, while we're talking. Um, the I guess, and it's kind of a lead on from the last question: Is this your dream job? Yeah, I, I mean, anyone who, who does this and it's not their dream job, there's something wrong with them, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I hate my job. I have to play board games. <laughs> yeah, it's, if you have the itch to design, um, which I did badly enough to give up my, my real career, mm -hmm. um, it's, you, 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 it's like an artist. You, you have to do it. 
You'll, yep. You're not happy unless you're creating, unless you're designing. Um, and the beautiful thing in this, this industry or this business is you not only get to create something, but you get to work with really talented people, artists and graphic designers who really bring your vision to life and, and create true art, right? It's beautiful mm -hmm. um, and functional. And that to me is extremely fulfilling that I get to not only see my designs come to life, but I get to create something new that actually is, is a work of art, is actually beautiful. The uh, one last question from me is, um, how did you find Martin Wallace to work with? He's a unique, he's a unique individual. He is. I mean, we, we actually, I, oddly, we, we worked well together back in the Eagle days when we were working on Railroad Tycoon. Um, I went to him at an Essen in maybe 2004, and I said, well, people seem to be enjoying the Steam game, but the, the, the knock on it is, or age, was it Age of Steam back then? Or no, just Steam. And the knock on it was that it was just really um, had a high learning curve. That was his mm -hmm. very original design for Steam. And I said, let's create a game more approachable and has lots of good toys because that was something that Eagle was all about. We wanted big, giant board games and lots of miniatures and toys. Um, let's create you know, the basic mechanics of Steam, but you know, simplify it and streamline the game design. And he submitted something that was you know, basically the pickup and deliver portion with a map of North America. And I said, well, this is great, but it's a little thin. We need a little more than this because it's not enough there's no real decisions. You're always just going to be, you know, picking up your best thing or building your track. So it was building the track and pick up and deliver. So I, I, I said, Hey, can you add these elements to the game? And about a month and a half later, he sent me a new design altogether hmm. and it was terrible. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you had the right thing. You were on the right track. I just, I want more. I just want a few layers more of, of, of options for the players to choose as, as actions. And so I said, you know what, just never mind, I'll do it. And so that's where it became a collaboration. It was supposed to have been only his design. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up just taking on the rest and finishing the game, you know, adding elements onto the, the original kind of basics of track building and pick up and deliver. So I just want to step back a little bit. Um, and, and, I, and I like the, you know, your, 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 your continued enthusiasm in the board gaming industry. And that's great. And I, and I love to see that. You know, currently it's uh, mid-April and of 2020, and we we're in the middle of a little pandemic, which is keeping everybody at home. How is that affecting your plans? At you know, from the the company perspective, and how do you think it's going to affect the board gaming industry going for the rest of this year and and really pretty much in to next year, just given how long the production, uh, how long it takes to produce games. Yeah, I, I think it's going to have a massive impact. Um, firstly, I think the retailers will take the most impact. Um, all those friendly local game stores that, you know, our hobby loves um, and loves to support are going to really struggle. They, uh, they, most of them live on a very tight margin anyway, and probably can't afford to be closed. You know, I know they're trying to do curbside delivery and they're trying to figure out ways. I see all the discussions going on on the gamma chat rooms on, on social media. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult. I think there will be a lot of retailers that go out of business this year. Um, and so that will cascade forward to distributors and onto publishers. So the hobby game channel, which is one of our four channels, will be massively affected. Uh, I 
would predict about a third of them will go out of business. Wow. Uh, and that's going to have a, a, a massive impact on distribution because it'll be bad debt uh, that'll flow through to the distributors. Um, so that's one aspect. And then from a publisher's aspect, um, right now, if you're not Frosthaven, Kickstarter is a very tough place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Frosthaven's making it look easy right now, but you know, anyone else who's trying to launch Kickstarter in, 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 you know, right now, or even next month, or maybe even the month after, you know, there's a lot of economic fear. Uh, there's a lot of people out of work. Um, so just, you know, the potential dollars that you can harvest from a campaign is going to be a fraction. And so anyone who is trying to do it now is, is going to fail. And anyone who waits till it's over, there's going to be a cascade of, you know, just an avalanche of these, you know, Kickstarters that were being held uh, during these months. And it'll, it'll just, we already obviously had just an overabundance of, of too many products. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a bubble. And so there's going to be just, a, a, the bubble's going to get much, much larger before it bursts. And a lot of publishers will go out of business because they rely on Kickstarter. They rely on the hobby game channel and their revenues for this year will be down incredibly um, from last year. As a University of Chicago trained economist, I, I share quite a bit of that sentiment. You know, 16 million Americans, you know, and not all of them are in the hobby. We have to at least acknowledge that. But 16 million Americans will put a significant dent uh, in the amount of expendable capital for a product, which is basically a luxury good. Right. And so that, uh, you know, it's, it's non-essential. I mean, we think it's essential, but we're crazy. I mean, devoted, devoted, that's the word, devoted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, it's it's going to have a lingering effect. And, you know, we've already seen some other game companies uh, struggle and go out of business even before the pandemic. And we, we, we all... Yeah, and we're and we're seeing it. I mean, I'm seeing Queen Games having layoffs, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a you know an established title. Um, we'll see what happens with the Asmodee hegemony that that exists. So it'll it'll be it'll from my perspective, I think it'll be fascinating. Yeah, we've reduced our forecast for this year. We we do some pretty detailed forecasting by channel by customer. And we've reduced it more than 50%. Or we expect to, to get less than half the revenue that we had originally planned. Uh, that's, I think that's probably a little conservative, but it's always better to pre- prepare for the worst and hope for the best, right? No, I, 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 I totally get it. Well, um, I don't have any more questions. I, I thought, I think this is great. And I really appreciate you coming to talk to us on, on a Sunday afternoon and uh, really share some of your 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 business experiences with us because I don't I think it's a part of the board gaming mm-hmm. hobby that a lot of people have unrealistic expectations about. Do you have any follow up questions, Vic? I guess um, I, I don't want to really leave it on a, a negative note, even though it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, is there anything interesting? You don't have to um, give names or you know tell us what your secret stuff. But are you working on anything interesting at the moment? Uh, a couple things for me. I'm always juggling three or four designs um, and hopping back and forth on, on when I get energized because you know part of the creative side of this endeavor is that you do get inspiration for different mm-hmm. topics or different things that you prefer to work on. Um, I should be working to finish Lizard Wizard, which okay. is our next Kickstarter, um, and I am very enthusiastic about it. But I got kind of a bug in my brain a couple of days ago. 
Uh, I'm also working on a, a civilization themed game, uh, which is a favorite topic of mine. Um, and, uh, I spent the last two days working on the game design. And so it could be that, you know, I always knew we were going to do this. This was something on our, on our docket for the next year. Um, but I just got excited about it and started working on it. So I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but it's basically, a an engine builder, but a worker placement game. So think Age of Empires 3 meets Terraforming Mars. I'm thinking of it constantly, and that's what I'm going to think about for the next day. I One last thing I might ask is, have you anything you would like to plug? So that game you mentioned that uh, is the Civil War game, what's the name of that again? It's, it's called Victory and Glory, uh, the American Civil War, and it is on Steam. Brilliant. Um, and it's the second in a series. We did Victory and Glory, the uh, Napoleon um a few years ago which was a pc game that then was a board game uh it was actually forbidden's first published game so uh it's uh very playable and you can knock out the entire civil war in two three hours and you get to do all the interesting things and take those interesting decisions we talked about you know earlier you know whether you know where you're going to focus your you know your armies where are you going to do economically what are you going to do and it has all the elements that the civil war had politically economically you know the, the blockade all those things so it's it's got all the elements but it's in done in a way that's so streamlined that you can enjoy a very tense um game and knock it out in a couple hours that's great that's, that's excellent well with that um glenn i want to thank you very much for for joining us and for answering our questions i think a lot of what you said was insightful and and i think it's a part of the board gaming industry that just doesn't get talked about enough and in, in my humble well all right in my not so humble opinion vic <laughs> do you have any final any final words no I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you glenn um I, i'm not going to be all gushy and so on but i am a big fan <laughs> of your games and uh Certainly, you were, you know, you were, you were, you were getting me all kind of hot and bothered there when you started mentioning Civ and Sid Meier's and, and so on. There's some, like, I mean, there's some fantastic, I'm a big fan of your games. Um, Thank you. I'm going to whip out a few more and start playing them on Tabletop Simulator and get my Thursday night gaming group to, on board with them. Um, and as Philip said, it's, it's great to hear from you. And uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, Easter Sunday to talk to us. And My pleasure. That, Cheers. Thank you. And with that, um, I'm Philip Millman. You can reach me on Twitter at the at sign board game rabbi, as well as on the board game group on Facebook, where I am one of 18 admins. Vic, where can they get a hold of you? You can get me on NaveCon. Um, so if you just Google for K N A V E Con, uh, you'll find me. I'm in there and you'll find the sporadic postings and so on. Um, Glenn, do you have anything else to say to the nice people? No, just thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure. pleasure. And as we like to say, always be gaming. Always be gaming.